Hi, this is Savannah Saunders from The Wonderful Water Dance, and today I am honoured to introduce a groundbreaking, critically acclaimed choreographer, artistic director and composer, Hofesh Spector, who is without doubt one of my favourite contemporary dance creators working today. Hofesh's work is deeply virusal in experience, and whenever I see his work, I invariably contemplate the deeper questions about life, politics and power. I still remember the first encounter with Hofesh's work, watching a piece called Political Mother. That experience literally blew me away and I went back to see it the very next night. The Hoffa Schechter Company has collaborated with the Settlers Glass Theatre in London and as part of their digital dance in focus series, is giving you an opportunity to take part in dance workshops where you can explore the distinctive movement style of Hoffish and learn excerpts from his choreography, which is quite a unique opportunity. So let's find out more about this exceptional choreographer. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. It's a little bit sunny, so I'm better. So we're both in London, but we're obviously we're both still in our homes. Yeah. So tell me how, first of all, how have you been dealing with the lockdown experience and the whole COVID situation? Well, I think uh, like everybody, the lockdown situation was a combination of frustration, uh, benefiting from some time at home with the family, you know, a lot of ups and downs. Uh, obviously, for the company, being an internationally touring company, um, we were, you know, in effect, the media just unable to operate, you know. So it's been about half a year now that we are not able to do what we do best, which is show the world, the, the work all around the world. Um, so, of course, you know, we were doing a lot of planning and preparation. Um, it gave a lot of time for thinking and for contemplation. Um, and hopefully we are going to be back in the studio in, the, in early November and starting to prepare for a tour that will happen next year, if, if, if you know, <laughs> if everything is okay. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been challenging, but um, interesting, yeah. Well, just, I think it was just last week, I watched a piece called Untitled, which was presented on Zoom the other day. Uh, which I, I love to go into these things, not really um, doing too much research. I like to have a very a first experience when I see the piece. And I was so taken about how relevant the piece was, how it had so many different layers. For me, it really asked questions of the viewer about society, the restrictions we're living in, about participation, our voyeurism, social media, our collectiveness, our, how separated we are. The spectacle of dance, the human need to move in these times. Tell me about creating this piece. So actually this piece was created orig originally I think in 2005, if my memory doesn't uh, betray me. Um, and the, the, it was made for a company that asked me to make a piece in the round. So it was, you know, it was a thing that the audience will sit around and I made the piece with a thought that the, you know, for whoever saw the piece or didn't, uh, basically in the third part of the piece, the dancer leaves and the audience are confronted with themselves and with the empty space. So the piece was made with that thought in mind already and there is some text that leads the audience uh, emotions and thoughts at that point. But yeah, it felt, uh, you know, we were thinking about what we can do digitally and, and I find the digital performance very challenging obviously because one of the, mo the most powerful things about live performance is that we know that it happens now and we are all together in a room 
you know, that energy, that, that chemical interaction, you know, um, you just can't match it. And, and, you know, you can match it a little bit. Where you see, like, live sport, we all sit at home and sit, but it still has that power. So it made me think about that. How do I get the audience to feel that this is happening now, and how do I get them into the room? Well, I can't get them into the room, but that's why we did. We were projecting the screens off the faces of the people on Zoom live on four walls around the dancers. So that, it was a very, it was a very simple thought in the beginning about how to get this to feel very live. Um, and I have to say, it really, it took me aback when we, when we did the first streaming, I was doing the filming of the dancers. So I was as well inside these four walls with all the people looking at me and my mind was racing because I was starting to think weird thoughts like, can they see me now? You know, and then I thought, no, they can't see me. I'm behind. But you see all these faces and you know that they are there now observing what's happening inside that square. So you are right. It was just a really multi-layered experience also for me and very powerful dreams during this week. Um, so, yeah, you know, sometimes you don't really know what the piece is going to create in the sense of thoughts and emotions. But uh, that that because it came from the real... Um, issue that I have in this time, which is how to get my audience into the space, I think that made it very relevant when we had the partial success in bringing the audience in. Let's, let's go back um, a little bit further. You were born in Israel and yeah. you started dancing and playing music very early on in your life. Um, tell me about how you ended how you, how you sort of transitioned or found your way into dance when you were when you were younger? Um, I so in school we all had to um, do uh, folk dancing. We had like once we from the age of like six or seven, you know, the it was on a Friday at around noon, and everybody gathered. It's a thing in Israel, or it was in my school. Uh, we gather in the school hall and we do uh, folk dancing. And I have to say, I wasn't. You know, I still didn't have, like, I didn't fall in love or anything. I was very embarrassed. I felt embarrassed about my body. I was, and at a certain point, the teacher told me she thinks I'm pretty talented and said that there is a youth folk dance company that I should go and check out. And I went and checked it out, auditioned, and they took me. And I have to say, the first thing that really excited me was the sort of uh, sense of community that it had and meeting uh, young uh, kids and people from all around town and the idea that we are touring. So there was something about the lifestyle that suddenly really, uh, you know, was really interesting to me and attracted me. And after I was there for a while, I met a few dancers from the academy in Jerusalem, and I started to fall in love with the idea of taking dance more seriously. So just at the age of 15, I joined the Jerusalem Academy of Dance and Music. Um, and again, it was, then, then there was a combination of things. It was the lifestyle and the, the physical challenge, the fact that I didn't feel comfortable with my body was something I wanted to crack. I wanted to be able to feel good with myself. I knew that there is something about this. It's like a key that will make me at peace with myself if I can be at peace in front of other people in expressing myself. Um, so something about it not being comfortable attracted me to, to you know, getting better at it. Um, and then I discovered all the creative possibilities that that can give you and so on and 
From there on, I joined the junior company of Bacheva Dance Company in Israel, then the main company, and then I left uh, to Europe and worked a bit in projects and so on. So that's that's how it started, you know. And and after your jaunt into to Europe, you made your way to London, and you joined the Jasmine Vardaman Company. Um, tell me about your time with the company and when you also started creating your own works. So yeah, it was interesting working with Jasmine because it was such a different way of working. You know, it's a highly theatrical um, dance, uh, you know, work. And a lot of what I did before wasn't like that. So, you know, I felt like every choreographer I worked with, I learned a lot from. Uh, and it was interesting to to see the construct of the work that, that kind of initiates from a different place, not from the physicality. Uh, but uh, after about a year and a half with Jasmine, I kind of felt, and I felt it for a while, that I want to do my own work. I want to create my own work. There was a lot of fear involved. Like for a long time, I was not doing it. I thought, oh, I don't know. Do I have what to say? Is it going to be uh, worrisome thoughts? Um, and at the end, I, I just had, I think, a couple of months off from the project with Jasmine. I thought, I'm just going to create something. I'm just going to do it, jump, and see what happens. And then I created the first duet uh, fragments, the first duet, um, the first work I've done. Um, and I have to say, one of the most exciting things for me was to create the music as well. Uh, that was for me, because I was kind of a professional dancer up until then, making the music and having it perform in a professional environment was like, wow, that, that's exciting. Um, and then I kind of discovered also the pleasure of creating something as a whole, you know, the music, the atmosphere, the movement, the concept. The, it was suddenly understanding that you can be the chef of quite a large meal, you know, uh, or quite a lot of aspects of the meal. And um, yeah, so, so that's how, you know, from Jasmine. And then, then I decided to take a year off being a dancer and dedicate myself to choreography. Um, it was a kind of like a, a deal I did with myself. I said, it's a year I don't take any dance jobs because being a dancer is very demanding. And just give myself to choreography. It was a simple deal. If I can make a living by the end of that year, I carry on. It's about the exchange with the world. If the world, you know, gives me something in return, just some food and, and a roof over my head, then I'll continue because, you know, I want to create and I'm curious about it. And so that's how it started. And yeah, obviously by the end of the year, I was fine. I, I, I had more opportunities to create and it grew from there. Yeah. Your work is very distinct. I think that's almost an understatement to say, in fact. You always know when you're watching your work, it seems so, so very, very original. How would you describe your movement language, your choreographic language, in your own words? In my own words, I think it will be very different to how other people describe it because I, I, I want to say there is something uh, shameless about using whatever I need. And in that sense, I don't know if you could uh, focus or zoom on exactly what that is, but perhaps it's that atmosphere of I'm just, I'm just looking around and looking inside and I will use whatever works. You know, it's, it's about uh, getting to the root of the nerve somehow of a feeling. And using whatever 
tools I have, be it movement, be it imagery, be it a sound text, I, I'll use anything to try to focus uh, and arrive to the root of a nerve of a feeling. Um, but in that sense, you know, I can tell you what's important to me sometimes about movement, you know, quality. I really love the flow. I really love the elasticity of movement. I love thick movement, you know, but I love also other things, you know. So I, I would say, you know, and if you look at different works, in the same time, there is something very eclectic that, you know, different works can look very different. Um, so it's very hard for me to define. I, I would say, for me, when I walk into the studio, there is a matter of being connected to myself and true to myself um, and not forgetting my audience in the same time. <laughs> and when you go into the studio, when you're approaching new work, what is your, what is your method or your process? Do you go in with some very set ideas? Do you have the music first or do you work with the dancers to co-create? What's your approach? I don't have a one system. You know, it's a really chaotic. Um, I would say my, my one good quality is persistence. I come with the idea that I want to create something. I might have a, a sense of the energy of it or not, you know, but, but I want to create something. I want it to be moving and I'm persistent. So that's a starting point. But then each time it will be a bit different. Like sometimes I will come with a sense of the atmosphere. Um, you know, a sense of the rhythm of the piece, the sound of it. Um, sometimes there will be an idea, you know, like something really that I want to explore. Sometimes I'll be so empty, I'll come into the studio with a lot of fear and think I'll just start moving and analyze the movement as it comes and see what it means to me. Um, more and more as the years pass and I work with my dancers for many years, they are more involved in the creation process in the sense that I really involve them in my thinking in the energy of things, they can start to help me create as well. Um, you know, they become very sophisticated movers uh, that understand my movement and what I'm looking for. Uh, and, and so my creative brain is expanding to them. Um, so yeah, it, it's really something that is that grew with the years, that creativity in the group. But you know, I'm, I'm always there to be the chef, to make the decisions, to organize the, the chaos in, in the space um, or to decide when it's chaotic, you know. Um, but there is no methodology. It's, it's a really chaotic experience, I have to say. And the only thing that holds it together is wanting to continue or deciding to continue, even when it's tough, which is quite a lot. <laughs> so, yeah. um, For me, each of your pieces, feel like these new universes that explode into being. And as you walk into the theatre, you never can anticipate what sort of world is going to be presented. And they're so absorbing and sometimes so shocking as well, which I love. Where do you get these inspirations from? Because as you say, your work is quite varied and, and touches on different types of subjects. Where do you get inspired from? Well, uh, again, first of all, it's nice to hear because in a way that, that's the kind of relationship I want to have with my audience, which is, you know, you perhaps you enjoyed my last work very much. Great. But you know that you're going to walk into the theater to see the new one and you just don't know what you're going to get. It's like a bag of surprises and some of them will be great and interesting. Some of them will be upsetting. You know, 
I'm not interested in old work. I'm not interested in recreating. I mean, I can restage an old work as it was, but doing a new work that will be like the old work is just, for me, it's just boring. So in a way, I'm, I'm looking for that fresh new angle on, on things. Um, and I, I think for me, again, it's being connected to myself. Uh, uh, allowing my rattling thoughts, my rattling emotions to rise, and I'll just take a, a you know a notebook and a pen, and I'll just puke everything that comes to mind, see what's on the what's bubbling up to the surface of my mind and emotions. What am I busy with? And normally, it will be also connected to things that people around me are busy with, and what's happening around me, you know, in my in my world, um, and you know, that keeps a level of honesty to something I actually care about, creating about something that I'm actually busy with rather than trying to satisfy some something else, an aesthetic or an idea or a concept. You know, it's very difficult for me. You, you know, when I go and do commissions, uh, I think people know by now it's like, I come and I do, if I do a new work, I'll just, I'll do what I do. Nobody will tell me, we want you to make a piece about, you know, uh, the human flesh and blah, blah. I'll be like that. It just, it's not how it works for me. So it is really about connecting to something that I'm curious about at that point of time. And, you know, hopefully that's different from what I was curious about last time, you know. There is a through line. I will always be obsessed with, you know, human nature versus anim the animalistic side of us. There's something between the brain and the heart, between control and loss of control, between social structures and individuals, the question of freedom. There, are, there is some obsession there, but again, like I said before, it's the angle that changes. Um, so, yeah. And where do you th where do you think this obsession of those subject matters come from? Do you feel that it comes from a place or an experience or is it just your natural curiosity? Well, I'm sure it's connected to experience and place. You know, I, I was born in Jerusalem, uh, grew up in Israel, a highly intense place. You know, every human emotion you would experience, uh, say if you grew up in a small village in Switzerland, you will feel as well in Jerusalem, only in Jerusalem it might be a little bit more intense, you know, depending, I don't know, you can have very intense uh, experiences everywhere, of course, but uh, to generalize the, the experience, you know, Israel is a highly politicized place, um, you know, everything is in your face, and, and uh, the question of power, the question of freedom, you know, it's really like you, you, you can't grow up not seeing these questions or dealing with them. Um, so I'm sure it has connection to that and to my personality type, you know, and perhaps to my education and so on. It's very difficult to analyze why someone would be obsessed with one thing or another. Um, it, you know, my name in Hebrew is Hofesh, and it means freedom in Hebrew. So, you know, call it a blessing or a curse, but, you know, that, that could be a kid that had to think about what that means, you know. Um, does it even exist? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trapped in my body, or am I free to move my body? You know, uh, do I make choices, or are they predetermined? So I, I would say, of course, the, the totality of the experiences I had, where I'm from, my personality type, my name, that will all, you know, lead to being obsessed with certain uh, subjects. And you mentioned before about working with 
your dancers and uh, the, the types of ways in which you ask them uh, to move physically, but also to experience emotionally. Tell me about um, how you or how you draw those types of performances or ask the dancers to perform those types of movements and how that feels for them. How do you achieve that with them? Because it's quite, it looks really challenging to perform the work. Mm -hmm. I mean, really when, when I speak with the dancers, I, I feel that when we communicate, we communicate, it's never about how it looks. It's never about the shape or, it's always about how it feels. It's about how, how, what's the sensation or what's the feeling when you do the movement. You know, if you push, there are different ways to push. It's like you push something very thickly or you, you try to push someone. But you, you know, it's, it's very simple. It's very action-based. Normally, quite plain in the sense that it's not connected to emotions, but it could be, you know, you can push something really angrily or you can push something being very cold. It is a lot about how it feels from the inside to do the movement. Of course, we can then clean the, you know, the counts, make sure that we are, don't have the arms too up or too down and so on. But in essence, for me, once they find a way to feel it in a way that feels, um, honest to them that they feel like they connect to them when they own it this is when it really becomes interesting because i want to see them so so you know it's a paradox i'm asking them to do something but then i want to see them doing it in their way um but that's the interesting thing for me that's discovering how you are pushing you know harshly or coldly someone and how you connect to it and what emotion that brings out from you um and I think that's, that's what makes also the company interesting for me, that it's like there is a, a kind of an energy that we all move in the same way, but in the same time you feel that it's a company of individuals. Each one has their own character, their own way to express that very same emotion. That's what we call individual, you know. Um, so it's really about the sensations. It's really about, you know, them finding a way to own it and feel like they, because also then it's more powerful. I mean, the end of the day, I'm not on stage, they are. And they have to believe and connect and, and you know, express these things that mean something to them. And in return, the audience can be moved. Um, so yeah, the, the, this is really the thing that matters to me most. The dancers do look really raw on stage. And I often sit there thinking, it feels like everything's been stripped away but also everything exists in the moment. And I wonder what is, you're talking about your communication with the dancers, what type of feedback do they give you about what it's like to perform the work once you know, they've finished, sort of finished on stage? What, is, what do they say about the feelings? Wow, that's a really good question. You know, I, I've been um, choreographing for what, I don't know, 15 years now. I don't think I heard that question before. That's you know, a huge compliment, you know. Um, Thank you. No, it's a really interesting question. Um, I never actually sat and had a conversation in these terms of dancers telling me, you know, how it feels to perform your work, you know. Um, I, need to, I need to think about it. I need to, to dig and find whether there were conversations that were uh, similar because I, I think 
I, I don't know. In a way, I think the dancers seek for feedback from me after performances. It's you know, I would ask them what, how was it, and you know, sometimes they would say, yeah, that was fun, or I didn't feel so connected, I didn't have a good show, you know. But not in terms of um, what the experience is. I, I I think, and I never spoke with them about it. And now I'm going to ask them how you know how does it feel really. I feel like it's very challenging. I, I, but, but I don't know. I'm not. Uh, I don't feel that being a dancer is my calling. I, I was a dancer for a while, and I it was it was just hard for me, just difficult. You know, uh, I suffered a lot. So I, I don't know. I, I, to me, it looks like really challenging to remain in the moment, to remain in the emotion. Um, I hope that they are having a very powerful experience, and uh, you know, a kind of. Uh, an ecstatic experience somewhere where they they give something to the audience, um, but I need to check with them. Well, it'd be interesting to yeah, it'd be interesting to hear because um, just you know from the audience perspective or from my perspective, that of course that's all I can really talk about. Which really is when I watch them, it is so it's such an absorbing experience to to be and to see them on stage. They Yes, of course, all dancers are absorbed by their character or by their role or challenged by the work, but there seems to be something in the way in which they are are really present physically and emotionally, but without any sort of superfluous emotions. It's very raw. It's, mm. it's, it's quite difficult for listeners to understand sort of, I guess, if you haven't seen the work, what we're talking about when you see it, you're, well, you may or may not agree with me. But I, I think, yeah. I, I think you know something that we speak about a lot, actually, which will sound like a paradox, is not to try to perform the work for the audience. And so you are not trying to present something to the outside, but you're trying to experience something from the inside. And sometimes, if I try to explain to people how that might feel to watch. It's like watching na National Geographic film about animals. The animals are not performing for the camera. They are just being, you know, and if the animal is experiencing something difficult or beautiful, you, are, you as an audience member are watching the animal experience or the subject experience something uh, powerful for themselves. They're not doing it for you and trying to present it to you in one way or another. And that's what we're trying to do with the dancers. We are trying for them to have a powerful experience that is not for the audience. It's with, the audience is observing it, but it's not presented to the audience and wrapped and perhaps that's the raw feeling. You know, I would always tell a dancer, you know, if you do that thing, it's better if you feel like, do it in the way that you would have done it if you were alone in a room. Don't worry about what people see, what they think, what they get. You be totally inside this experience and then the audience will just see what they will see. I mean, you know, we can go into the another layer of the complexity of dance, which it, it's so subjective. I mean, every audience member sees something else because they know something else and feel something else and had a sandwich or not before the show and they have a headache or not and they had a fight with their boyfriend or not, you know. So um, it, it's such a subjective thing. And in the end of the day, you know, for us with the dancers, we try to perform in a way that they experience something powerful in a not present, presented way. As the artistic director of your own company, what do you look for in dancers to join your company? What I look for is a very human person, a person that has a human, uh, the, the richness and variety of human emotions 
uh, or perhaps, perhaps that there is something fragile, there is something, for me, I say human, I don't know, I, each person can, can think about another thing. And actually for me, there is a connection between human and quite fragile or kind of, I call it a bit of the loser type. And, and I feel that I have a bit of the loserish in me. It's, there is something a bit broken. There is something a bit uh, fragile, unstable, you know, not like, and again, it's something that comes with, it's not the kind of dance where we try to appear strong and beautiful. It's the kind of dance where we try to reveal the weakness and the, together with it, the beauty of the human the mind and body and structure you, you know we are an imperfect beautiful thing um and it's what i'm looking for in a dancer of course i want them to be you know rhythmical physical be able to have the skill to perform the the, the movement in the qualities that i'm looking for but essentially i will fall in love with a dancer you know with their eyes with their expression with something that makes me move you know that moves me um because that's the experience i'm looking for you know and so tell me um, about the collaboration with Sadler's Wells, because here we are talking about your, your movement language and giving people the opportunity to take some workshops. Why was this important to you and how have you made this sort of happen for people? I mean, so many reasons. First of all, looking at the lockdown and the inability of the company to, you know, normally we travel around the world. We... Um, perform and everywhere we go to perform we teach workshops to students to young people you know there's something about uh, educating and having the young generation join what we're doing and inspiring them so of course in this period uh, when Sadlers came with this idea we were very happy about it it's a way of uh, connecting with more people it's a way of bringing the work to more people um, and you know I always I find it challenging to put things online because of the permanence of it. Uh, so dance is in, imper impermanent. So when you go and teach a workshop, it happens in the moment. It's like a dance show. It happens in the moment. It's very difficult to talk about it after, and uh, it kind of feels like it belongs to the moment. And when when you film something and just leave it online, you're like, hmm, you might watch it in a year and feel, oh, I don't know if that actually. But you know, in these times, I'm thinking, just let it be, let it go, and. We just have to put uh, material and resources out there for people to get inspired. And I think a lot of people enjoyed uh, some of these workshops are for dancers and some are for non-dancers just to come and explore and discover, you know, a little bit how, of course, it's just the edge of the iceberg, but discover how we're working, the kind of how we try to liberate ourselves, how we try to strengthen ourselves, uh, find creativity. So, you know, it was just a really interesting thing to do. If, especially in the midst of, you know, being yeah. un unable to travel around and do it, uh, you know, in person. With the dance industry being completely decim uh, decimated rather by the lack of government funding and policies that don't allow performances that are financially vi uh, viable. Yeah. It's a very sad situation, um, particularly in this country, but around the world. What is next for you and for your company? What does the sort of short term, medium term look like beyond or? You know, we are, uh, especially because we are touring, we, we, we want to tour in the UK, but now it's really, really problematic. Like you said, financially not viable for theatres to actually allow anyone to perform. Rehearsals are very problematic with the socially distant 
situation. So, uh, but we are making plans uh, to start rehearsing in November, socially distant, but see, you know, how much we can get together actually that, uh, that um, just to put some work out there um, in conversations, mainly about 2021. That's the truth, you know, with, with venues in the UK and internationally and holding on to our crystal ball <laughs> and to hope. You know, uh, nobody knows, but uh, we are hoping that there will there will be some regulations. You know, it, first we are hoping that the situation will get better, of course. But if not, that there will be some regulations that will just open up a little bit the the ability of our it's not just dance; it's the theater industry to operate and to you know. Of course, it has to be in a safe way. It has to be in a way that doesn't harm more people. But you know are there ways that that can happen and is someone really exploring and is someone investing the money in it and it, these are difficult questions uh, in time where nobody has money you know uh, but we are hoping that there will be some opening that just allows the industry to survive you know because there is only that much longer that the that the industry will actually survive without oxygen at all you know that there it's just it's just you know, making it very difficult. Um, so we are hoping, we are making plans. Uh, there's a lot of penciled tours, you know, in the UK and internationally. We are hoping, you know, next year comes and around February we are starting to re-rehearse and from March to start touring. But, you know, saying that now feels, uh, I could sound very stupid uh, if you play that in April and we are all sitting at home or, you know, like a wonderful profit if we were touring. So I, you know, we really don't know. We are, we are, of course, making so many plans with sub plans and B plans and C and so on. I think we're now in a plan like uh, Z or something. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. What advice, big question I know, but uh, what advice would you give to other aspiring choreographers who would like to forge a career um, like yourself, hard to replicate, I think, but particularly in these times, in these challenging times, any words of advice? I mean, my advice uh, in this time will not be different from any other time, unfortunately, for the ones that listen and care. It's that nothing can replace action, you know, and, and in this time, I appreciate it. it's very difficult, but actually, you know, going into the studio and making movement and trying to construct and putting it together and constructing a work trying to have finish finish call it products or finish work it doesn't have to be long but trying to you, you know the experience the actual experience of making is the only real school for anything really i think but you know you can think about it a lot, you can worry about it, you can speak with people, you can schmooze everybody, get support. Nothing will help you other than just practicing. And practicing is doing. And, and a lot of times I see, you know, young creators that did one cool piece and then they are trying to, you know, go and present it everywhere. But it's, it's not, I mean, of course you want your work to be out there, but the only thing that will improve your skill is practicing. It's just really boring, I have to say, and really hard, you know. Um, so my, it's always my advice, try, you know, every opportunity you have to create new work, just take it, 
uh, might you know don't be too you know it might be a bit of a compromise on the numbers of people on the level of the dancers maybe you're working with a school it doesn't matter you know it's all about uh, practicing and keeping on doing um, and then you know it's out of your control if if the world wants more of it then they will ask for it and if not then we just have to fight harder and keep on doing you know well that's Fantastic advice. Thank you so much. So thank you so much for your time. Sure. Thank you. Thank you for your call. And I just want to very, very quickly for listeners and viewers, make sure we take the opportunity to take one of the company classes, uh, sorry, company workshops, visit the company's website or jump onto Sadler's Wells Theatre website and try out the workshop. Thanks so much. Don't forget to subscribe. We've got some incredible interviews coming up with principal ballerinas and renowned choreographers. We love dance and ballet, and we hope you'll love us. Join us on Facebook and Twitter.